0: Let's go back a decade to 2014 for just a second here. On the top of your dome, do you know who led the Seattle Mariners in stolen bases in the 2014 season? I'll give you some time here. No, it's not Jesus Montero or Krista Norfia, although good guess. Uh, Italian uh, baseball legend Krista Norfia actually no 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 it wasn't either of those guys it was James Jones a little blast from the past James Jones he stole 27 bases in 2014 that was 10th in the American League that year what's funny too is he had 28 career stolen bases he had 27 in 2014 and then he played uh, a few games with the Mariners in 2015 had one stolen base and that was it for the career and base of james jones welcome back everyone to the chaos ball podcast thanks for tapping in that was a little minute blast from the past of only a couple years ago 2014 uh i i was surprised i james jones was not on my on my notes of like things to bring up this episode but i tend to just kind of look at baseball reference and get lost in the in the spreadsheets and that was pretty fun. Uh, and second and third also on that list of Mariners in 2014. So James Jones stole 27 bases with one caught stealing too. Like what a what a season for him and played a lot of games for the Mariners, 108 games. It's a lot of stolen bases in 108 games. Second was Austin Jackson, fellow center fielder with 11 stolen bases. So the drop off was stark. And then in third place was little-known second baseman speedster, Robinson Cano, who stole 10 bases that year, and that was his career high of stolen bases. He had never stolen double-digit stolen bases up until that point. He got close in 2011 with eight, but he got 10 double-digits with the Seattle Mariners in 2014. But I digress. Shout out to James Jones. And 2014 was a decade ago. Just think about that one for a second. All right, let's get cracking. Let's get cracking into the episode. This could end up being a short episode, but I don't know. I don't know. We'll see where the recording takes me, uh, and if it takes me down any James Jones or Nate Karnes rabbit holes because uh, I I was I was legitimately, Nate Karnes popped into my head in the shower earlier this week and I tweeted it out if you ever think about Nate Carnes. I thought about him in the shower. I don't know what that says about me or my mental fortitude at the moment, but shout out to Nate Carnes. I don't know I don't know what that means for me and, and my and my head. But let's get into it. Uh the manners, of course of course Jerry DePoto has given me something else to talk about this week. I will talk about the trade that he made. Stop me if you've heard this before, but Jerry DePoto he made another trade. Uh, and then some other random stuff, uh, mostly focusing on that trade. Uh, and then just uh, some other random topics I have tacked on to the end of this one that relate more to the the broader Major League Baseball landscape rather than the Mariners. Um, Fangraphs and Pocota projections came out. I'm not going to delve into those. I, that's, that's for preseason, um, not predictions uh preseason preview podcast fodder but the projections i will say are basically what the mayors have been projected at the past three years mid 80s wins that is about what they've been projected at which is pretty astounding and impressive for the team to put together three straight years of like 84 to 88. Win projected teams, when your young core of players has only gotten exponentially better, it's it's impressive. It's an impressive lesson in team building. And and the lesson is start a coup amongst the fans in the front office and take over the means of production of the Seattle Mariners, a.k.a. oust John Stanton and the ownership group and make the Mariners like the Packers. I... I feel like I'm supported in this. I I could spearhead this movement. Maybe I shouldn't record this if something actually happens. Uh, But I I will be the revolutionary leader to revitalize the Seattle Mariners from an ownership perspective. Do I have the money? Absolutely not. I do not have the money. I don't even know exactly how the Packers have money, considering I just genuinely don't. I don't really understand entirely how the Packers ownership works, but it sounds cool to be like a part owner of a team. That sounds pretty sweet. So I'd love to do that. I've already rabbit holed like three times. I'm five minutes into the episode. Uh, But I had one thing written down here before I really actually get into what I want to talk about today. Do you think the Mariners marketing team, like they, I know they, they get the news probably prior to the media hearing about it. Like officially, and they also probably get like inklings. I'm sure they make a lot of drafts of of rumors within the organization. Like, was there a Marcus Simeon photoshopped Mariners post in a Mariners jersey post made in 2021 because they were you know in the hunt for him? There might have been. I feel like that is a safe way to assume that's how the social media and their like creative content team does stuff. I'm wondering with Jorge Blanco, have they had his face? photoshopped in a mariner's jersey for like three straight years now just just ready like the social media person finally hearing the news is it's like fives like letting out a massive sneeze just like oh my god finally we can post it we've had jorge polanco plastered on our walls in a mariner's jersey for years and jerry finally got him i was just thinking about that and i didn't even mention that last week but uh I wanted to I wanted to mention that because uh, Jorge Blanco again uh, has been basically a Mariner for a couple of years now. He's been the rumor. He's been the elusive man that Jerry Depoto has wanted, and like every media member has been like, yeah, he's a fit there. Okay, again, stop me, please stop me from stop me from ranting if you can. Jerry Depoto made another trade. In the time of my last recording to now, which was a little bit over a week, about a week and a half, he made a trade. So Jerry, thanks more stuff to talk about here. And this one was kind of, I don't know if it's a classic Jerry trade, because I feel like this one kind of moves the bullpen needle a little bit, where a lot of his random trades, I, I, I get out of them kind of grasping at straws of like, does this really help? Did he give up too much? Why did he do this? Did he just trade with the Rays again because he was bored, which I honestly think happens from time to time because he has an addiction to making trades. But no, this one was a pleasant surprise to hit the timeline. One that was just a, it wasn't a breath of fresh air, but it was like, oh, okay. Like I I can get behind this. And that was my initial reaction. And then as I've thought about it, over these, these few days since the trade happened. It makes a ton of sense for the Mariners, and I, I really do like it. I like it a lot. I like it a lot. So this one, it was a trade with the Chicago White Sox for relief pitcher Gregory Santos. And in exchange for Gregory Santos and his, you know, I want to say three or four years of control here with, with arbitration coming up, they gave up Prelander, Barroa, Zach DeLoke in a compensation pick that they had, which was 69th overall. Nice. But I liked I liked this trade. This was just like... Why, I wonder how long this has been in the works. I It was interesting because last week I talked about and I mentioned... Uh, it was either last week or the week before how like I feel like with the Topa departure... And even before the Topa departure, I thought they probably could use another good relief pitcher in there uh, and i i assumed what they would do is acquire that relief pitcher a lot like trevor got style where you you pick him up off the scrap heap for a million dollars in free agency and then all of a sudden he's like a, a one win relief pitcher for 2024 that's how i thought this was gonna go if we're being honest i didn't really foresee a trade for a relief pitcher. But that I fell victim to one of the classic blunders of assuming that Jerry DiPoto would do anything but trade to acquire a player. And uh, I can't believe I even talked myself into him signing a free agent relief pitcher, you know, to add to to the pile of minor league relief pitchers that he signed the past like month and a half. But he trades for Gregory Santos, not a name that I feel like a lot of people in the, like, what am I trying to say here? In the more casual baseball viewing world, one, he's on the White Sox. They're bad. Two, he's a relief pitcher. And that's it. That's about it. I mean, how many casual fans, particularly if you're a fan of the Mariners and just watch the Mariners, why would you know who Gregory Santos is? Unless you're poring over the stuff plus leaderboards on fan graphs. Like, like... I am, and a lot of people, I guess, are. I don't know why you know about this guy, but if you know anything about baseball, anything about stats, you just watch this guy. You know he's a good relief pitcher. Uh, he, I just think it's a really good move for the Mariners. Gregory Santos had proved last season that he can be a, I'm, I'm not going to say elite relief pitcher here, but great relief pitcher like anchor a bullpen type relief pitcher last season he pitched 66 in the third innings with a 3.39 era a 3.11 expected era and a 2.65 FIP to go along with that and a 1.6 f war season from a relief pitcher and that's a good amount of innings that's a healthy amount of innings and i think the real intrigue here came from what he did to change His approach leading up to just him climaxing is the wrong word, but leading up to just his year last year, he had come up with the giants and he was just a a classic modern example of insanely nasty shit and didn't particularly know where it was going, uh, needed to iron out that command as well as kind of find his fastball a little bit. Uh, his bread and butter is a slider, but he needed to find the fastball. And uh, he left the Giants, went to the White Sox, the White Sox unlocked something in his command. But also they I don't know if they encouraged him to do this, or he just did this on his own. But they essentially said, stop throwing a four seam fastball, you throw a two seam fastball or sinker. I think it's classified as a sinker in baseball spot. And that really unlocked it. Uh, The the sinker slider combo was, was ruthless to hitters last year he's essentially so the rundown i mean he's essentially the justin topa replacement uh i you can expect justin topa numbers from him to be honest like they're they go about things a little different but you can expect the same similar numbers as justin topa last year to what gregory santos might give us uh this season and beyond there was really good peace uh in Baseball at baseball perspectus. Yeah, it was at baseball perspectus, like comparing uh Topa's twenty twenty three to uh, Gregory Santos's twenty twenty three. And they're strikingly similar in terms of like strikeout rate, uh ex WOBA was very similar. Like ERAs were like they're they're very similar pitchers last year. A little you know, again the stuff's different. He Gregory Santos just goes about his his job slightly differently than Justin Topa does. Uh, Santos throws harder. He is an absolute pure slider, fastball, relief pitcher. Uh, and Topa threw a lot of, of like two seam sinker slider. That was a lot of his mix, but he also he he bopped in a cutter and, and a changeup every now and then. The cutter was a fun little pitch for him last year as a little third saucy little pitch. But Santos, true 70-grade slider. Just an absolutely elite breaking pitch in his slider with a 60-grade two-seam fastball sinker, again, as it's classified on baseball's font, and that reaches triple digits. I think his average fastball velocity last season was like 99 miles an hour. Uh, so he, the epitome of a modern back-of-the-bullpen relief pitcher of a fastball slider, hard-throwing, nasty movement combo like that's exactly what he is the only concern here is the elbow which like to to be fair very large concern as like the only quote concern of his is the elbow i mean it's like it's like buying a car and and the only concern with you buying this car is is the engine a little bit um, the engine spent the end of last car car season on the injured list for engine inflammation. I'm going to stop uh, with this scenario here, but no, Gregory Santos' elbow, his, his elbow, his throwing elbow, he ended last season on the injured list with elbow inflammation. So not a, not a tear, not anything that was going to require surgery, but they shut him down and I ended his season, towards the end of the season. And I think he just started throwing again in, like, December. So I think he was ramping up. And I'm sure we'll hear more about this. As uh, as pitchers and catchers report and all that, I'm sure it'll be very telling how healthy that elbow actually is. Um, but that is, that is a concern. I mean, he's a really hard-throwing relief pitcher uh, who ended last season on the I.O. with elbow inflammation. And so that's a little, like... Uh, Oh, it's like a little unnerving of of what could potentially happen. But it's not like the Mariners don't know this. I'm sure the adequate precautions will be taken. And also, just looking at the bullpen right now, there are arms plenty, Good, bad, mediocre, there's arms aplenty to if they want to slow play him, if they need to shut him down at all during the season. I think there's enough there to be okay. But I you would be doing a disservice and I would be doing a disservice to you in talking about how great he is and how excited I am to watch him pitch without mentioning the the concern of the elbow there. But uh, I mean, this, like on paper, and again, he's going to be pitching next year, so it's not like we can just pencil in an injury here. This improves the bullpen a lot. Uh, it looked a little bit more top-heavy after giving up Topa, and I think I talked about that. It looked a little top-heavy with... Solid guys, but now it's now I think this really stabilizes that you have your three best guys, your back of the bullpen, and Brash, Munoz, and Santos. I think is a really, really good back of the bullpen battery. I don't want to rank it just yet, maybe I will in the preview episodes, but I think that is an absolutely nasty three arms in the bullpen to complement a good rotation and like the rest of the bullpens get to, but that makes me breathe a little bit easier uh, than just having Brash and Munoz at the back of that pen. So I think there's, there's still plenty of upside with the supporting cast of the bullpen. And I feel like there's still upside with like Brash Munoz and, and Santos, even though we've seen all three of these guys be elite relievers. Um, so I think this is a great trade from the Mariners perspective, to be honest, I think trading for an impact relief arm like this is clearly a move that's like hey yeah we got rid of topa but we want to replace him and that's smart and i like it now what did they give up what did they give up so i'll start with zach DeLoke. i guess i'll start with the the least important thing the compensatory 69th overall pick Sure. I mean, that's not a bad pick for the White Sox to get from this trade. Uh, that's, I'll leave it at that. It's a, dra- it's, a, it's a draft pick in Major League Baseball. Not a whole lot to read into there. I'll start with Zach Deloke. Zach Deloke just felt... He felt blocked. He just felt blocked. Uh, it, it made perfect sense for them to include him in a trade like this where he's not the main guy, but he's a supporting cast of this trade. Uh, seems like a perfectly fine corner outfielder at the AAA level. Like He had a solid season last year. And Tacoma, and at the start of the offseason, I remember they added him to the 40-man. And it was like, oh, okay, maybe we'll see, like, Zach Deloke in the corners this year, which I wasn't super thrilled about. But that was before all of the trades happened, and that's clearly not what's going to happen now. Um, Wouldn't surprise me, I guess, if he became, like, a league-average big league player. I don't see, like, that much upside, but I feel like I see a player who's good enough to stick in the corners for a decent amount of time. I, I... I'm not. I'm no scouting expert, but I don't know what how high his ceiling is, but I feel like he is fast enough, can play the corners, and has a decent hit tool to at least play on this White Sox squad, I think, which is quite bad. Uh, and he just didn't really have a spot on this roster, on this marriage roster, like, at all. With the corners as filled with kind of mid as they are, you have Rayleigh, Canzone, Hanager, and Marlowe. I think, all probably above him on the depth chart. Uh, All guys like Canzone and Marlowe both were rookies last year but played in the major leagues for the Mariners, and Zach DeLoc was in AAA. So that tells you just those guys are definitely above him. Obviously Julio, but he's not in the corners. Uh, And then he'd still probably have to contend with, like, Taylor Trammell and even Jonathan Class A in, in AAA next season, honestly. So I didn't see... A spot for him on this roster and the marriage didn't either and it doesn't it's not rocket science to say like maybe we should just trade this guy particularly he's a lefty and you have canzone Marlowe, and taylor trammell and john Glass is a switch hitter but you have at least two other young lefties that they favor more in the organization in front of you and Rayleigh, who they just acquired to be their full-time left fielder, who's also a lefty. So it's not like that helped him at all either. That probably, if anything, pushed him out the door quicker. Uh, but I don't have much else to say. It just made sense to include him in a trade. I wish him the best uh, in Chicago. And then Prulander Baroa, the golden boy of the Mariners minor league stuff last year. Uh, I... I talked about the weird handling of, of him last year. He pitched like a couple innings for the Mariners and a weird situation. And I was greatly looking forward to what he could contribute to the 2024 iteration of the Mariners bullpen. And now he is gone. Uh, I was on like fully on the 2024 hype train uh, for him in the M's bullpen. I was like, he's going to win the spot. He's a wild card, but I was like, it's going to be a good year. I can feel it. And that wasn't like a, a groundbreaking take. I mean, you could see the stuff is there. Uh, but I'll still support him for the White Sox. I think he at least has a clearly defined spot in that bullpen where it was still kind of a question mark in Seattle. I think he's absolutely got a spot in that sad, sad Chicago White Sox bullpen now, especially that Gregory Santos is gone. Uh, and I think his peak is honestly Gregory Santos, my, my brother, Texted me that shortly after this trade happened that it's basically like the White Sox gave up Gregory Santos for potentially future Gregory Santos because they're very similar uh, in stuff and just how they pitch. And that makes a lot of sense. So the M's and on the flip side, the M's basically traded a young promising bullpen arm for potentially what they could have seen in the future from him in two to three years uh, in Gregory Santos, but they're getting it now. So ultimately, you know, tough to see him go. But bec- like just because of the intrigue of him, like it it was it we saw his little de- his debut in the big league and the little uh pitches he threw for the Mariners last year. So much intrigue. It was tantalizing. It was like, "Oh, man. When is he going to be up full time?" And now he's in the White Sox, but uh, getting Santos back in return will probably satisfy that itch for me in the bullpen in terms of just raw stuff plus along with Matt Brash and Munoz just nasty uh, and, and Santos is proven a proven major league pitcher with a really solid relief year in his belt in last season that he can build on and if he just does the same thing very or very similar year that's that's huge that's a massive year for the White Sox in this deal, I don't exactly know what the strategy is here. It feels like this trade is better for the Mariners. Like you get like Zach Deloke, like a just a corner outfielder in in a in a place the in the White Sox org where it felt like they had nothing but guys playing the corner outfield who didn't belong in the corner outfield. Like the team building on that, I don't want to get into the White Sox team building. It's a oh boy. New GM and everything. Maybe there's a plan. I guess it makes sense getting Gregory Santos out of there before they had to start paying him arbitration for no reason, essentially. Like him being just uh, a really good pitcher in an awful bullpen. Maybe they could have hung on to him until the trade deadline, but I don't know what his market was. I, I'm, I imagine the Mariners reached out first here, uh, but like, could they have held on and gotten a different deal, a better deal? Maybe. I'm just surprised at them getting prelander Baroa back and Zach, De, like Zach Deloak just doesn't do much for me. The pick, sure, just compile as many picks as you can. You don't get much opportunity in Major League Baseball to get more picks than other teams. And when you can, I guess go for it. But it is just funny to trade Gregory Santos for potentially Gregory Santos in a relief prospect. Maybe we'll have him start. I don't know. I just feel like I would have tried to reach for not the pick, not Zach DeLoke, not Prulander Broa, but go for one of the Mariners' more highly touted prospects, but just one of them. And maybe they did that. I don't know. This is just confusing from the White Sox perspective. Uh, I see the merits of it for them. It's just as I've, it's just a sad situation for their their squad right now. Don't look at the White Sox pitching staff. Particularly their bullpen. Don't do it. Don't go to Fangraphs, Roster Resource, click on White Sox, and scroll down to the bullpen. Don't do that. I do not recommend it. It's it's harmful, and they're going to be so bad this year. They're going to be terrible. And all this to say, I like this trade. That's my trade analysis. Uh, That's Gregory Santos for you. I do enjoy this trade. I wish Prelander the bro the best, and I will be watching his career. Hopefully, he's as good as Gregory Santos one day. That would be awesome. Uh, Is the team right now? The question we're all asking, is the team better right now? The roster as, as constructed on, you're listening to this, on February 9th. Are they better than at the end of last season? Uh, Yeah. I'd say that even before this trade because at the end of the year, they had Sam Haggerty hitting DH in very crucial games down the stretch. And I think the addition of Mitch Garver automatically makes the team better. Um, but no, I I think I think they are a little bit better. I just it's hard to see because we're so clouded with trade fog from Jerry DePoto. And we've like it's every offseason, but this feels like particularly the turnover this offseason is crazy. The core is there, but the team is is pretty different offensively. The lineup is quite different. Uh, So it's hard to like directly compare too, because I feel like the floor is lower for this lineup, to be honest. Maybe the floor is the same. But the ceiling, I think, is higher. I I think pitching wise, they seem set up to be better or comparable, at least to last year, like potentially the best rotation in baseball, at least probably top five entering the year. Another strong bullpen. Um, The lineup, I just there's a lot more risk here. I feel like there's a lot more upside. There's a lot more potential, but I also think there's a lower floor of, of injury-related uh, stuff. So I, w- I will still save a lot of this talk for the preview episode, but as of right now, I do think the team is marginally better than they were at the end of last season and definitely better than on opening day when Tommy LaStella was the starting DH. Uh, definitely better than that lineup right now. So what I will say Going into the year, and they're not going to do it, but the bullpen is poised to be very good again. Like the Los Bomberos, they nicknamed their whole bullpen like what is it, the fire, the firemen. Please bring back the bullpen cart. I'm begging you. Um, the Mariners can do it first, and other teams will follow. Bullpen carts need to exist again, J- like it's just so fun. Baseball is such a fun, unique sport and the bullpen cart adds to the to the jolly outing of going to a baseball game in person. It's like, oh, hey, look. They're driving this player up to the mound. Like, that's sick. I think not only should they bring it back, like, they shouldn't half-ass it. Like, that's what I'd worry about with bullpen carts if they ever made a return. You can't just roll out a golf cart out there, you know? Like, you, you can't just be like, oh, I'll pick you up and... In the golf quarter, like, uh, what is, like, the four-wheeler that you see the Mariner Moose driving around that the grounds crew has? Like, it can't just be that. That would be lame. Like, that'd still be fun, but not as fun as it could be. So, like, they need to bring back the OG Seattle Mariners bullpen tugboat. Like, that was sweet. Make it a ferry. Make it a canoe or something. And if you don't want to go Mariner's theme, your bullpen is called Los Bomberos. Just roll roll them out there in a fire truck. Drop him off or have him, have him climb the ladder. No, that's injury, injury waiting to happen. But no, you get my point. Teams need to bring this back. Imagine the Pirates call to the bullpen in the bottom of the ninth. They're up one run. David Bedner is coming into the game and he gets on top of the pirate ship and he mounts the wheel and they drive him up to the mound. Like, tell me you, that wouldn't be phenomenal. What, like what other team, what would other teams do? Like the, the, rays could be a giant Tampa, like Ray cart. Uh, the, the, what would like the red Sox do? I don't know. Giant sock. No, there's a lot of potential here. Some teams have a lot more potential than others. I think the Mariners and the pirates in terms of the seafaring aspect of the team where you can make it a boat, have a lot more potential than others here. Uh, but I think it'd be fun. I think it'd be very cool. And I, I just want it to happen. I want to make baseball sillier. Like, they already put a clock up there. They already changed it in a serious way. Can we make it silly again? And that is the rest of of my time talking about the Mariners. That was half an hour of Mariners. Now what's happening? What's happening in baseball? Like, how is the rest of the offseason going to go? Like, I feel like for the Mariners, I think we kind of know the roster is, is pretty set at the moment. However, there's there's the creeping thought in my mind of a potential Jerry Depoto trade in the next couple weeks. Could it absolutely happen. It's Jerry Depoto. He's addicted to trades. He he puts potential trades in that spoon and he heats it up and he injects it and then he calls the Tampa Bay Rays and says, "Let me get a a relief pitcher for for a double A corner outfielder with one really good tool, please." but I, I feel fairly confident in saying they're probably done, but there's so, there's so many, uh, not wow. just completely, well, forgot to speak there for a second. There's so many free agents left, like solid free agents. What I would do at this juncture and looking at the marriage payroll, I think their payroll is roughly going to be 135 million this year. It was roughly that last year, which is a little depressing, Not a little depressing. That's a lot depressing from a team that promised the world not only last offseason, but then this offseason where it's like, oh, the payroll's going to increase. False. It is not. It's going to remain the same. And the same is still below league average and low and could be higher. There's still money. I know John Stanton isn't broke. What I would do if I was running this team, I would sign Cody Bellinger and be done with the offseason There we go. Cody Bellinger, while he's elite in center field, I don't think he's taking Julio's spot. He can be the full-time right fielder slash first baseman if the Ty France 2024 reclamation project goes poorly. That's what I would do. That's not going to happen, but that's what I would do. Because there's just a shocking amount of free ages still available. Like Blake Snell and Jordan Montgomery, the two pitchers, the two Southpaws who are going to get a considerable amount of money, maybe less now, but still a good amount of money, are still available and then you have like the good hitters that are still available there's so many you have jorge soler cody bellinger jd martinez brandon belt who was really good last year for the blue jays no one has signed him like why don't the managers just sign brandon belt that's actually what i would do because that'd be cheap be like one year deal and i see only upside if it doesn't work out it doesn't work out you're not putting that much money towards brandon belt uh, Adam Duvall, Matt Chapman, uh, Whit Merrifield, like Tim Anderson. If you want to try that out, uh, I, and there's a lot of other just names like Corey Kluber, I feel like is a free agent. He, he I don't know, just surprised a, a middling team hasn't signed him. Like those guys, I I just listed are probably the best available and they're solid. It's, it's wild. And, and this last, crop of signings could like legitimately sway divisional races there are enough wins in that list of players that i said to significantly increase the team's playoff chances like cody bellinger even jorge soler like the giants seem to be in on jorge soler that would do a lot for the middle of their lineup i don't know if it'd propel them to even a wild card favorite still think there's a lot for them to do but like just plopping Jorge Soler in the middle of your lineup would help tremendously. Cody Bellinger would help tremendously. Putting Blake Snell or Jordan Montgomery at the top of your rotation would be helpful to every contending team. It's crazy they're not signed. Uh, it's gonna make um it's gonna make the preview pods a little bit tougher if it remains like this. If Scott Boris keeps strangling and, and holding out. Against these these teams who don't want to pay people money. I don't know who to root for. I, I'm inherently on the side of the players. But it's Scott Boris, who's like the super agent, who I guess is, is ultimately good because he gets players the most money available, and that's sweet. But it also feels bad that it can come down to one agent versus, I don't know, probably 12... Contending teams wanting to sign these guys maybe 15 And he kind of has the power to say no I guess these guys need jobs at some point something has to give Like will we enter the season With Blake Snell or Jordan Montgomery without a home Because I think for those guys obviously the holdup is probably just the years a team will have to commit probably seven years, six, seven years to one of these guys. They don't want to do that for a pitcher, even though that'd probably bring the price down to give them more years. But I don't like do is Jorge Soler signed by opening day. Are the Dodgers going to say, screw it. No one else is going to sign them. Fine. Blake now come on down. Cody Bellinger, come on down. Like, is, What's what's going to happen? It's It's ridiculous. It's. Giving me Bryce Harper free agency type vibes, where it just feels like there's too many good players still available, and pitchers and catchers start reporting next week. It it feels ridiculous to me, um, but I don't know. I don't know where the offseason's gonna go. I feel safe that the Mariners' core of their roster is pretty set right now. Uh, I'm ready to actually start thinking about um, opening day. And the season as a whole and the players and the impact players and and, and everything else, the X factors and all of that. I'm ready to start locking it in. I thought I was a couple weeks ago. And then Jerry said, no, 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 I will keep making trades. And he, he keeps doing it. But in other MOB news, uh, I didn't get to talk about this last week because uh, there was, you know, big trade that happened. I had to talk about that. The Nationals announced that their Cherry Blossom, like, City Connects... Are they City Connects? Yeah, I think they were. The Cherry Blossom jerseys, one of the best jerseys in baseball, beloved by most fans of most teams I've seen. At least the online sentiment is they're awesome. Uh, they're having a farewell tour this year. The Nationals said they were going to retire those jerseys at the end of the year. And I have big problem. I have a big issue with this because this is afflicting... The NBA, first and foremost and I think it's leaking into baseball. Haven't quite seen it in football. It's definitely the biggest thing in the NBA is, is churning these jerseys. And there's no good reason to do this besides getting something fresh out there. That's a new jersey for people to buy the new jersey because people have the old jersey. They're not going to want to buy a different player with the, the old jersey even though it looks good some a lot of people are but the masses definitely are not so this is like a total business move trying to just squeeze as much money out of your fans as possible and i hate it we have seen how hard it is to make like a universally loved jersey we've seen how hard it is to make a fine good fun jersey like, in baseball, too, you have a lot of classics that have, you know, or teams that have been around for 120 years. Like, the Cardinals, are, our jerseys are great. Like, the Yankees, Pinstripes, the, the Red Sox, the Dodgers, Home Whites. You have these jerseys that have been around forever, like the Pirates, And it's hard to screw those up, but then you, you, these teams do try to have some fun. Like, especially with the city connects, you design a new Jersey and it hits and you just get rid of it in three seasons. Like everyone loves the cherry blossoms. Just make them an alternate Jersey that you wear like 20 times a year. You don't have to get rid of them. Cause I guarantee the next Jersey they're draw they'll drop is not going to be good as good. It could be good. I just don't think it's going to be as good. The perfect example in the NBA, and this is a lot of teams are doing this right now, but feels like every NBA team has new jerseys every year at this point. The Miami Vice heat jerseys that they came out with a few years ago, the first iteration of them, absolutely heat. That's an S tier jersey. That jersey was sweet. Everyone loved it. And then every year after that, they have changed it a little bit to refresh it to make a new jersey to sell. And it's progressively gotten worse and worse until last season. They rolled out that serial killer ass lettering, the kids designed ass jersey that no one liked. Why didn't you just keep the Miami Vice jerseys as your as your fucking home jerseys? Home and away even pink pinks away homes. I don't know. Why didn't you keep those jerseys? Like, if, if you polled the fans and were like, hey, you want us to keep these jerseys or get new ones, no fan would be like, oh, get new ones. I want to I want to give you more money for a, a newer, worse jersey. That's not how that works. So I wanted to touch on that because that's just ridiculous, and I hate that that happens. But my last topic of discussion, and this one is an ongoing situation, as we all know, the Oakland A's. What's going to happen to the Oakland A's? Where should we put the Oakland A's? Uh, I think it was a couple days ago that the mayor of, of Las Vegas was like, "Yeah, I don't, I don't think, I don't think Vegas is the move, guys. Like, I just don't really think that is the best plan here. I think they should remain in Oakland. What are we doing? What's going on? Like, where are the A's going to be then? Obviously, I'm for the A's staying in Oakland. I think John Fisher is a crook for doing what he's done to move them." Uh, regardless of what the city of Oakland has been doing. like I just think they should stay in Oakland. I think Oakland, they lost the Raiders, at least have them keep the A's and have another owner buy the A's so they can enjoy baseball again. Uh, but I just don't know if that's going to happen. But if not Vegas, where? Where are we going to put the A's? It'd have to be like if not vegas where like i think part of it was uh the location where the vegas, the mayor was like yeah i don't know about that it was like the old tropicana i was like I don't, I don't know not the best decision guys just objectively super funny kind of grenade to just launch into that project by the mayor like that's an all-time shit starting move and i love it where do we put the a's you, you, you Hit me up online, text me, email me. Where should we put the A's? I'm thinking, now hear me out. St. Petersburg, Florida. They have one team. I think they could use another. They share the stadium. They both play at the trop. Two baseball teams, one trop. How could, I mean, I like that marketing message already. Like, how could this go wrong? Uh, Where else could they go? I don't know. I don't know. It's weird. It must be weird, being not only an A's fan, it must suck to be an A's fan right now, but it must be weird to be an A's player. Where it's like, I don't know, am I one, am I going to be on this team in a couple of years? That's always a question if you're an A's player and you're any good. And two, it's like, I don't know, are we going to move to Vegas? Are we going to have a place to play even in Oakland in the next couple of years? Because Vegas, they were just going to play at the minor league stadium or keep playing in Oakland until they move to Vegas, even though technically they wouldn't be the Oakland A's anymore. I don't know. This is an absolute shitstorm that has just now a bigger wrench has been thrown into it, and nobody knows where we're going to put the A's. I'll campaign to put the A's in St. Petersburg at the TROP. Two teams, one TROP. I think that plays. Uh, or just to, sh- to shove, the, shove the A's and... I don't know where where needs a team. Do the Mariners need a, a, a rival that is close to them, like the Vancouver A's? Like that'd be a real like the I ninety rivalry. Uh, put the A put the A's in Spokane. How about that? The Spokane A's. No chance that market is big enough to support a major league team. Uh, the the Portland A's, huh? Portland Athletics. I don't know. They got the pickles. That's that's our and the Hillsboro Hops, so I think they're set. Actually, oh, what if what if the A's are like all time road team? They don't have a they don't have a home. They're the nomads of the league. They go and make their homes where they play baseball. Now that would be something. Definitely something that would get approved by the Players Association, where players wouldn't have a home for 162 games. But wouldn't it be interesting? All like like all time. Road Team Oakland Athletics, like the barnstorming Oakland Athletics. They're just romping around the country playing ball. That would be interesting. That'd be fun. You could really do something cool out of that. Uh, the Savannah Athletics. Take over the Savannah Bananas reign of baseball in Louisiana. I don't know. I, I don't know what happens. In, like, seriously, this sucks and is I think is very just bad for baseball it's bad for fans and optically it's just a bad look for the sport as a whole it's an even worse look for john fisher uh and i guess not an amazing look for vegas but it's kind of funny that the mayor's just like i don't know guys but that's that's it i'm calling it i'm calling the episode i'm not going to talk anymore about the a's but i appreciate you listening this far uh, will there be a podcast next week? I cannot give you confirmation on if there will be or not. Maybe there might be, I don't know. Does kind of depend if there's stuff to talk about. I do kind of want to draft the uh, Seattle Mariners, uh, 11, uh, 11 for uh, soccer. I kind of want to draft a soccer team for them. That sounds like fun. Uh, but it's almost preview season. I've already started kind of mapping out what I'm going to do because it's sick divisional previews and one Mariner's preview. Uh, Those episodes take a long time, and I generally like to do... I liked doing it last year. I know I'm going to like doing it again this year. It just requires more time and planning, uh, and I will hopefully have a schedule-ish of when those preview episodes are going to come out. But I kind of want to wait as long as I possibly can for these free agents to fall somewhere before doing that. So stand by for any updates, but... I appreciate you listening this far, and I will give you a hearty, hearty Go Mariners as well as rate and review the show if you like it, but also go Seattle Mariners and have a good rest of your week, people.